Well, let's stay with the sports uh, world for a moment. The following two sentences were written uh, by a a Methodist uh, minister named Robert Schnees, and he wrote this. Football players cheer for the other players on their team and want to win the championship. On the other hand, every football player dreams of scoring the game-winning touchdown. So imagine with me, number 55 is standing on the sideline. His team is down by just five points, and by the way, I can turn around, choir, so don't go to sleep on me back there. (laughs) Number 55 is on the sideline. His team has the ball on the field. Time is running out. They're down by five points, and and they hand, his team hands the ball to number 22. Number 22 runs around people. He runs by people. He runs over people. He runs past people, and now he's He's streaking down the field. Wait, no, he's not streaking down the field. That's another sermon. He is, he is racing down the field. He's running really fast down the field, and everybody's cheering. The people in the stands are going crazy, and the sideline has erupted in emotion. Number 55 is really excited. His team, it looks like his team is going to win. Number 22 is going to score the touchdown, and it looks like his team will win. But deep down inside, number 55... There's a bit of a conflict. As excited as he is that number 22 is going to score, deep down inside, number 55 would like to be the one to score that touchdown because all the girls are going to think number 22 is so cool, and they're all going to be talking about it Monday at school. And so he's a little bit conflicted. As excited as he is, he really wants to be uh, number, number 22. He is envious. Number 55 is guilty of envy. That's our topic of uh, the day. We are in the fourth week of our series on the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, lust, anger, sloth, gluttony, and envy. Today we talk about envy. In the text that Judd read, Paul makes a distinction between jealousy and envy. So maybe at the beginning it would be helpful for us to to work on that, that distinction. Jealousy is, um, <clears throat> is when uh, I'm afraid that someone I want to impress is going to be impressed by someone else. Jealousy is when someone I want to impress, I- I'm afraid, is going to be impressed by someone else. It's, there's, a, there's a threat. Uh, there, there is a potential loss. Think about a jealous boyfriend. You know, he's afraid that his girlfriend might be impressed with another guy. He might think that uh, he might lose her, so there's a threat. Uh, That's jealousy. Envy is when I wish I were the thing that this other person is. I I wish I was what he is or she is, or I wish I had what he or she has. I wish I were that or I wish I I had that. Maybe this will help. Uh, Johnny Ray. Uh, has found out that his best friend has won a free ticket to the Taylor Swift concert. And he is envious of that, of that ticket. Or Johnny Ray has found out that his best friend had to p- pay full price, but he has two tickets uh, to the Taylor Swift concert, and he's going to take Johnny Ray's girlfriend to the concert. Now Johnny Ray is jealous. Or 
Johnny Ray finds out that his best friend won two free tickets to the Taylor Swift concert, and he's taking his girlfriend with him. Now he's jelvious. He's jealous and envious. We're not going to worry a whole lot about the distinction between jealousy and envy this morning. We're going to remember, though, that when we compare ourselves to someone else, and it makes us miserable, when we compare ourselves to someone else and we're disappointed with who we are and what we have, well, that's that's envy. And envy is not just a character flaw. It's not just a shortcoming. Envy is not a a peccadillo. That's a funny little word. It means a, a little sin. If there is such a thing as a little sin, it's it's not envy. Envy is not a a trivial, trifling sin. It's not a a bland kind of sin. It's Sin is a, envy is a deadly sin. In Mark 5, Jesus listed some really dark things that can come out of a bad heart, including murder, adultery, and lewdness, which is sexual immorality on steroids. In that dark list, Jesus included envy. In the text that Judd read for us a moment ago, Galatians 5, the Bible lists Envy right alongside such things as witchcraft, idolatry, drunkenness, and carousing. And it circled back to envy at the end of the text. Did you notice? He lists envy in that, in that list, but he didn't come back and say, now don't be murderers. He came back and said, don't be envious. In the eyes of our Creator, envy is not a petty offense. Now get your your bulletins out, please, your orders of worship, because there's an outline I want you to follow. Uh, It'll it'll let you know where I'm going and where I've been. And we're going to see why envy is is a deadly sin. For 1,500 years, by the way, people have been talking about the deadly sins, Christian thinkers believing that that these sins are the root causes of all our sins, that these seven transgressions, that, that all sins grow out of these transgressions. So why is envy on that deadly list, the list of deadly sins? Number one, envy sets us against God. James 4.4 4 says it. An envious spirit sets you against God. Envy is an expression of disgust toward God. It's like a little boy who gets a red bike for Christmas and his brother gets a blue bike, same bike, just different colors. And the, the little boy who got a blue bike is, is mad at his parents because they gave him a blue bike. He, he, wanted, he thought he ought to get a red bike and so he, he pouts and he speaks badly of his parents. He, he even says things like, you must not love me. You, you, or you must not, be a good, must not be good parents, or you would have given me the red bike. That bike, has, that envy, the envy of the other bike has, has set him against his parents. It may sound silly, but our, our envy sets us against God. It's a rebellious spirit. It's the idea that if God were, were wise, or if he were good, then he would have made me differently. He would have given me different giftings, different different talents. If, if God were wise and he were good, he would, have, he would have done better by me. Envy, envy is a deadly sin. It, it sets us against God. And follow along, envy rots our bones. Proverbs 40, 30 says it. Envy 
rots the bones. Os Guinness was the one who noted that envy is the only one of the deadly sins that you can't enjoy. Think about it. Gluttony is fun for a little while, right? I mean, you, until you try to button your britches or uh, step on the scales. By the way, there's more to gluttony than overeating. We're going to talk about that next week. I was afraid you'd stay away next week if I didn't give, tell you that. Or sloth is fun, right? You lie around eating potato chips and drinking a Coke and watching TV. Sloth is fun at least for a little while. But envy, envy makes us miserable. Envy rots the bones. It, it's like a deadly disease slowly weakening us from the inside. Envy robs us of the respect that other people would have of us. Envy robs us of self-respect. Envy is a deadly sin. It sets us against God. it's It's like a disease in our bones. Third, envy makes us like crabs in a barrel. James 3.16 says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have discord, excuse me, disorder and every evil practice. Do you know about, about the crabs in a barrel mentality? Now, I don't know a lot about crabs, but apparently if, if you put crabs in a barrel or a bucket and one crab looks like he's about to get out, the other crabs will reach up and they will grab that crab and they will pull him back. It's as if they're saying, if we can't get out, you ain't getting out either. So that metaphor has come to represent the spirit, that unhealthy spirit of competitiveness that sometimes develops in us, maybe in the office or or in a group of friends even. When someone is doing well, we, do we want to, is there part of us that would like to pull them back. The Winter Olympics are here, of course, and it reminds me of one of the most obvious examples of crabs in a barrel mentality that I know. It was back in 1994 in the Winter Olympics when, well, it was in 1994 when Tanya Harding, remember Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan were figure skaters, and, and Tanya Harding was envious of Nancy Kerrigan, and she and her ex-husband hired a hitman uh, to try to, to destroy Nancy Kerrigan's knees. Remember, he ran up suddenly and hit her. He missed her knees, hit her in the shin, I think. And <clears throat> it was like, if I, if I can't be great, if you're, because Nancy Kerrigan was, was more charming and, 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 and more gifted, it was like Tanya Harding said, I'm going to pull you back down here. Travis, I would never hit anybody in the knees. I understand that. But if someone in your cluster, your group of friends, your your group of partners, the people in the office or on your team are doing well, is it possible that you would subtly discredit them? Is Is it possible that you might shrewdly undermine them so that when they're not there, you, you, you say little subtle things that make them look bad, and you're kind of pulling them back. Envy sets us against God. Envy rots the bones. Envy makes us act like crabs in a barrel. We, we don't want to be envious, so there's some things we need to, we need to remember. Follow along on your, 
on your outline. Three things you must know. Number one, you are not the best, the brightest, and the best looking. Get over it. When they were handing out talents in heaven and looks and gifts and all that, those things were not evenly distributed. Jesus even has a parable where one man gets five talents, one gets two, one gets one. We're not all equal. Equally loved by God, of course. Equally valued by God, absolutely. But we're not all, we don't have the same gifts and talents and skills and wealth and looks. And so this is, the, this is the participatory part of the sermon. In a moment, I'm going to say some words, and I would like you to repeat them after me. And I want you to say it like you mean it. You ready? Repeat this after me. I'm not the best looking or the smartest. <laughs> you didn't say it like you meant it. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. I'm not the best looking or the smartest. I'm not the most talented or the richest. I'm not the most charming. And neither are my kids or my grandkids. You really didn't mean that last one, did you? Those you had. But isn't it freeing just to say that? Just to say, you know, I'm, I'm not. I, and you know, it's still the sun is still shining, and we're still breathing, and life goes on. Just to acknowledge, it's okay that I'm not the smartest or the brightest or the the most gifted or the wealthiest or the most popular or the most charming. It's okay to be who we are. One, um, you are not the best and brightest and best looking, so let's all just get over it. Number two, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Believe it. People who in their hearts understand their value, people who in their hearts understand their significance, are not envious of other people. Sir Philip Sidney put it like this, those who have true worth in themselves can never envy it in another. Again, those who have true worth in themselves can never envy it from another or in another. If you understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, then life is not one big competition. If you understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, then you're not always trying to create value for yourself. If you understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you understand that, that value came with your birth certificate. Inestimable value came with your first cry. Life is not one big competition. You don't create value. You, you are value because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not the best, the brightest, or the best looking. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And third, you are loved with a love beyond your imagination. 
embrace it. Grace is the ultimate answer to envy. God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is the ultimate answer to envy. Now, I'm afraid at this point some of you will will yawn or you'll say, okay, yeah, God loves us, yada, 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 Let's, let's wrap this up. But I'm more afraid. There's some of you who, who, who don't yet quite believe that. As often as you've heard it, in as many places and ways as you've heard it, I'm afraid that for some of us, it has not quite sunk in. And so we're always engaged in this sibling rivalry. Carrie and I remember our kids' sibling rivalry. Two sons and a daughter, and they they were always in competition. I remember them in competition over everything from college entrance exams to foot races. As late, as recent as this past summer, our two boys out on the beach, you know, like we always, one, you know, one down here and one down here. I mean, some, you know, somebody at the finish line, somebody at the or starting line, the finish line, those two grown men racing like two little boys to see who's the fastest. Our daughter cheered, was a cheerleader in high school, and, and, and uh, Landon and Grant always made fun of her because they said cheerleading is not a real sport. But she cheered her first year at the University of Virginia, and when she got that letter that said, Dear NCAA Athlete, oh, she couldn't wait to show it to them and brings it up still that she's the only one that was a real athlete. We watched their sibling rivalry, but, but they knew, I think, and Carries in my love for them never was dependent upon who won the foot race, who got the best score on the ACT or SAT, or who was the best athlete. Competition is good for us. It was probably good for them. But they were never competing for our love, and they were never competing for value. When the love of God sinks in, we know that our value is not dependent upon who gets the promotion or who wins the contract. When the love of God sinks in, we know that our joy is not dependent upon who the girl goes with to the concert or who wins the, who scores the winning touchdown. When the love of God sinks in, it changes everything. And the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. In fact, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole. 
Those stretched from sky to sky. When the love of God sinks in, it changes everything. And there is no longer room for envy.